Okay, this is the first episode of the Brosane Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. I'm Alex Rosane. And together, all right, all right, all right. let's get it going. <laughs> so together, we form the Brothers Rosane or the Brosane. So um, I find that we that we'll, we'll end up talking, having lengthy conversation conversations about the Pistons, and especially after the last season. We probably care about the Pistons about as much as anybody else in the world right now because it, it takes a, a dedicated fan to, to stick with them uh, after the past nearly decade of mediocrity. So, um, but yeah, I think that you know we're we're diehards and we just wanted to start uh, recording our geek out sessions more than anything else. That's right, and we, we care so much that we actually have put a lot of thought into uh, the Joe Dumars situation. I think a lot of people's attitude, especially in the national media, is, hey, look, the Pistons have been bad for five years. Uh, Joe Dumars had a good run uh, when we had the conference finals six times in a row, but he's sucked lately, so get him out of there. He's a bum. And uh, what do you think about that, Carl? Well, I, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not really sure whether or not it, it would be a good time to try a new GM. I'm just not sure that, like, I just want to make sure that it actually will result in a, a better chance. Like I haven't thought enough about like there's certainly, I'm not happy with how we've performed and there certainly have been some bad moves in the past five years, but I feel like people are overreacting overall. And I feel like people have quickly forgotten the fact that um, like how big a deal it is to have won a championship again. And uh, you know, with the Chauncey Billups, uh, Ben Wallace squad, you know, like I like it's so hard. Like I watched the bad boys documentary uh, 30 for 30 and you're sort of reminded that for every championship you win there's like three times where you almost had it and like it was and, and that's the same thing that was true of us in 2003 I mean we we won it and then we almost won it the next year and um, so I don't know I, I just feel like that gives him a huge standing in my mind no matter what definitely I mean the, if you're not the Celtic Lakers Rockets or Spurs uh, you didn't win a title in the past several decades unless you're the Pistons I mean, there just aren't that many teams that get there. To have that sustained level of success we had getting to the conference finals, I mean, that was that was just a, a great run, and it was a, a team that was put together in an unconventional way. Um, and, I mean, that brings me to, I think, the most important point is that whoever is the Pistons' GM was just really in a tough position. The way that you typically build a contender is you win the lottery a couple of times and, and, and put together your building blocks of uh, future Hall of Famers to get a couple on your team. Uh, like the Spurs had David Robinson and then lucked out and got and won the lottery during the Tim Duncan year, and he's turned out to be arguably the best power forward of all time. Um, or you um, sign a, a big free agent or orchestrate a big free agent trade to you because you're a big market like Boston did with uh, getting Garnett to force his way there and so forth. And... You know, the Pistons haven't had either option. We, we had ownership that just said, absolutely, we're not going to tank. And so we had a string of uh, seventh and eighth picks in the, in, in the lottery rather than the, in the top. And, um, and we're not a big free agent destination. Nobody is trying to force their way to Detroit out of uh, L.A. or Houston or, or, or Boston or New York. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and I think to be fair, like um, – it has been a tough environment, and I, I'm not sure that that many GMs would have done better than Joe D. Of re- recently. So maybe it'd be worth like running through some of the classic moves that people always claim were 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 uh, missteps by by Joe D. Um, 
and, and sort of evaluate like is that really fair to say that he made a definitely bad decision or did he kind of get unlucky i think the most famous is darko like what do you think of that pick when we could have had carmelo anthony or Dwayne wade well i i think that i mean it was it was a bad move and uh no one is uh you know, saying if they had to do it over again, that's what they would have done, given what we know now. But, you know, uh, uh, Chad Ford of ESPN, who is, you know, one of the more famous draft analysts and is um, maybe whatever you think of his evaluation of talent, he's very plugged into what GMs around the league think. And he was reporting at the time that half the GMs in the league would have taken Darko with the number two pick and nobody would have taken Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh. People just didn't know that they were going to be as good as they were. So it was between Carmelo and Darko. And at the time, you know, we, we had Tayshawn Prince, who was going to start for us for the next 10 years. We were a, a title contender, or I think we had just won the title or something. And we felt like we could afford to swing for the fences. And we had this guy who looked like a combination, like uh, Dirk Nowitzki's skill and David Robinson's body in terms of his, you know, Darko's size and quickness like a guard. I think, I think it was a reasonable move to make at the time, given what people knew at the time, and half the GMs in the league would have done the same thing. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And to me, also, it was during a time when, like you said, we felt like we had we could take a little bit more of a risk, and the more obvious pick of Carmelo wasn't a good fit for our current team. Um, and speaking of, yeah. of speaking of making moves that aren't a good fit for your current team, maybe a more recent example, you know, is is in when we got Josh Smith. Uh, yes. So like, to me, like, is that just an, is that, is that just a bad move? I mean, to me, it, that seems more like a bad move of late, you know, but, but I remember you telling me before, like, well, he, he, like, it wasn't, we're not paying him an unreasonable amount. And what else is he going to try with the cap room we had? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is another one that I file under, um, it was you never know how a move is going to work out, and there's a risk reward calculation that you make, and it was a reasonable risk to take. And it, it basically, of all possible ways this could have worked out, this is among the worst ways it could have worked out. It could have worked out okay. Um, it, so you know, the, you you can point out that um, we're not paying him a max contract, and he's the, he's going to be under contract with us during the age when he's going to be in his prime. So it's not like he's dead wood like Ben Gordon was. Uh, right away, and um, you know that we're, we're paying him about what uh, analysts said they think he should get. But the most important thing is he had played small forward successfully for a fair amount of minutes in Atlanta, and there was you know some advanced stats showing on ESPN Insider that he was among the top perimeter defenders in the league, and this was using you know special data on one-on-one scenarios on the perimeter and all this stuff. And he was among the best in the league at that when he was in Atlanta the last year. And it'd be interesting to see somebody go back and see what the hell was going on there. I mean, either um, that data was only, he was only put in that situation when it was going to be advantageous and we didn't take that into account, or maybe he got fat and happy in the offseason before coming here. I just don't know what to say about it. It, it, it's, it seemed like it might work out. The, the only risk I thought was he can't shoot from the outside. Apparently he doesn't know that. But so our offense, we might have to get creative. But he sucks on defense on the perimeter too, and I, you know, I just don't know what to say about that. But it, it, in hindsight, I don't know what else we would have done with the money. Yeah, yeah. And so 
I mean, yeah, I mean, and I guess using the using the money we had was was big, better than sitting on our hands for a year just so we'd have it because we still have cap room this year, right? Yeah, I mean, Villanueva and Stucky's contracts expire. We're going to use up a ton of our money um, if we if we match uh, whatever people offer Greg Monroe. But um, right, I mean, we have. It's not like we're hamstrung with the cap, and you know, Smith's still a valuable player. We might be able to trade him or um, trade Monroe and play him at power forward where he belongs. This isn't this isn't a dumpster fire like the Ben Gordon contract turned out to be. Yeah. So speaking. Uh, so speaking of where we have to make a move. So so speaking of Ben Gordon, who turned out awful, like to me that also strikes me as a case where Joe D, you know, got somebody, and as soon as we signed him, he, he like for the first season of his entire career became a bad shooter. Yeah, it was it's it, it's uncanny. It, it, it all, all, almost makes you want to know like. Was there something going on behind the scenes? Did he have some injury that hasn't been made public or something? Because, you know, he went from a guy who um, we were going to be overpaying him a little bit, but he was going to be, you know, maybe the role Jamal Crawford plays for the Clippers, just, you know, a guard off the bench who can just light it up. And you don't have to worry about your second unit offense because he, you know, he he can score if, if nothing else. Above average player with some limitations. That's what we that's what we bought, and when we got home and looked in our shopping bag, we had a guy who was a below average player. Um, um, we knew he was a bad defender, but he was a bad he was bad on offense for us too. And um, I don't know how we could have expected that. He he didn't get old. He was right of the the prime age when shooting guards still are doing fine in their career. It's really just hard to explain what happened with him. Um, we were we were we were going to be overpaying him a little bit, but. He just turned out to be an albatross, and that was under the collective bargaining agreement when there were five-year contracts instead of four, like now. So once you make a mess like that, you're just you know, in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. And you know, before we sound like complete Dumars apologists, I mean, to me, one example where I I feel like was just a, a mistake, even before, like at the time, it struck me as like wouldn't be a good idea no matter what was the Iverson Billups trade. Yeah. That, well. You know, I, uh, I guess I am uh, should be assigned as counsel for Joe Dumars or something. <laughs> I'm always on his side. Because, well, let me at least make the case for why that was um, that was reasonable. Iverson had just come off um, with one of the more efficient and productive seasons of his career. And he only had one year left on his deal. So it was a one-year rental. It was kind of like, well, let's, let's see how this works out. And if it doesn't work out, which it didn't, at least we have the cap room and there are some good free agents. Well, in the meantime, Iverson went from being among the better players in the league to terrible in one season, and he never recovered and never was productive in the NBA again. So he, who knows, again, maybe he got fat and happy in the offseason. And then um, the, the, the other shoe dropped, and um, I, I went back and looked up who was supposed to be available with that cap room we were going to get for Iverson. Carlos Boozer was potentially going to opt out and so forth, um, but everybody just went back and signed with their own team, and there was nobody. We had this cap room, and Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva were the, the best guys left, and we signed them. And oh, so yeah. It, it was one of those things where just... It was like the um, one-two punch. There was yeah. a range of ways it could work out, and it just everything broke bad. Yeah, and then also the fact that Billups ended up being really good for Denver for a while. You know, like he, he, was, he still had, he definitely had some mileage left. Um, 
So it was just, you know, and it, it just seemed like maybe Dumars got impatient. And he's like, yeah, well, we're not championship contenders. Let's try blowing it up. And, you know, we could have potentially milked our, like some of our good players a little bit longer, especially, especially Billups, you know, he was still a really good player. No, you're right. He was good. And I think um, his explanation at the time was, we're going to try to rebuild on the fly. We're going to try to not get, win the lottery bad. And so what we need to do is trade one big piece while he's still good and try to get either, you know, cap room slash take a chance on Iverson. And the reason why it seemed to make sense at the time to have it be Phillips was that, first of all, we could get some value for him. But second, we had Rodney Stuckey, who was up and coming and young and, you know, he appeared to be a, a starter quality player at the time. And uh, so we took a chance. And, you know, Billups was 32 years old when we traded him. And that's, you know, there aren't very many point guards who are that age who are still productive. And he had a couple of good, uh, several years after that where he was still really good. Um, so things just broke so that they made made us look as bad as possible. Um, we knew Billups was still good, but... Um, Right. I mean, maybe we should have traded, uh, just gone for it all and tried to get rid of Hamilton and Prince as well. Ben Wallace had already left by that point, so we already knew we weren't contenders. It was a tough situation. Again, we were in the, okay, do we go like the um, the end of the Bird era Celtics and just be awful for a few years and try to win the lottery? Or, you know, uh, I'm not sure what he was allowed to do or what he should have done. But, you know, that's how it worked out. And in hindsight, it looks, this looks really bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then so setting aside, so these are different moves that have turned out badly, and we're talking about whether or not they could have yeah. been predicted to be badly. Some of the things have been good. I mean, drafting Drummond and Monroe of late. I mean, was drafting Drummond? Did we? Was that like a good scoop? I can't remember whether or not that was kind of like a like an obvious pick to make, given where he fell, or did we kind of scoop him up or eagle eye him? He was um, for the. For the going into that college season ahead of time, people were thinking Drummond might have been a number one overall, and then he looked disappointing and he looked sort of aloof and you know he didn't dominate like people thought he should have, and so people thought like oh oh no is this a I mean people I mean people thought he might have been a Darko like oh he's got the physical tools but he doesn't have the heart, and so he fell and you know he was taken you know, later than people would have predicted at the beginning of the college season, but he wouldn't have fallen much further than us. He probably just fell, you know, just two or three picks further than he should have to us, and we were, you know, very wise to pick him at that point. It was actually considered kind of low risk to pick him where we did, because it's like, okay, well, if he fell this far, we may as well take him. Yeah, and, and was was Monroe a more of a pick that people hadn't predicted? I can't remember. Do you remember what uh, you know, it's not like we took him five picks ahead of where people would have taken him. It's more just like we got him around seven or eight or where we got him. And it turned, you know, in hindsight, he probably should have gone in the top, you know, three or four. Um, it just, you know, he was playing a weird role in Georgetown's offense where he was, they're running the offense through him and he was, you know, having a lot of turnovers because, you know, he was doing what Joe Kim Noah is doing now for the Bulls kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, he's not real bouncy and athletic. Yeah. Not a prototype center. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we got these solid guys that, you know, uh, sure, they fell to us and it, you know, it seemed obvious to take them. But, hey, you know, the, the pick before us didn't take them and we did. So that's, that's good. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, I don't know, like, that's why I feel a little bit nervous about blowing up and 
losing Joe D right now because I feel like Drummond is really just an exciting building block of a franchise. You know, like he's just so like, oh, like I don't know, like he he almost led the league in rebounds. Like he he he, he had like thirteen points a game without actually playing offense. Like I remember like an announcer joke, like he wakes up in the morning with five rebounds and and. <laughs> And, you know, just so it, he's just starting to build, develop his offense and, and without doing anything, just by tapping it in and being a great offensive rebounder, he, he, he racks up 13 points a game. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about our future, even though this year ended up being disappointing. Another pick that people rag on Dumars for is in taking KCP this year when we when we could have um, taken our, our beloved Trey yeah Trey Burke and and I, I kind of agree with that. Like Trey Burke would have been fun to get, and and given how bad Jennings, or, or I mean, not just I just feel like Jennings. He's not like if you look at his stats, he's not awful, but he's just like he kind of has a bad attitude, and and he just isn't as good as we'd hoped. Um, and so given that, I I really would have liked to have Burke. It just would have been fun to have him, but I think the jury's still out on KCP. Like he's he 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 still could be really good. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the jury's still out on Burke too. He didn't exactly light the world on fire this year. And uh, the big concern, the reason why he dropped in the draft was that he's small for an NBA point guard. And there are, people are worried about durability, and that could come out at any time. I mean, I wish Burke the best, and I hope he ends up being good. But, you know, um, KCP, what he looks like right now is maybe um, the next Aaron Aflalo or something, like a guy who just becomes a solid starter because he has NBA size and, you know, he, he looks like he's going to be a quality defender. I mean, he wasn't that good this year because rookies suck at the defense. Uh, he's got a, he's got NBA shooting skill. Um, I, you know, he, he looks like he's going to be a rotation player, and if you draft a guy who ends up being a rotation player, that's good. Um, I, I think actually this draft class, there, was, there weren't very many guys at all who, who were gonna, are going to be all-stars, and I don't think Burke's going to be an all-star either. Um, yeah, I mean, you can always look in hindsight. I actually thought we should have taken C.J. McCollum, who was taken by Portland and then ended up injured all year this year. So it wasn't a disaster pick. I think KCP is going to be fine, and uh, you can't expect it to do much better than that. It wasn't obvious to take Burke, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. You just said it kind of passed by us, and it would have... I, I, especially given how the season turned out, is like, well, at least we could have been watching Burke this year while we... <laughs> You know, right. had a disappointing yeah, season. Exactly. Um, um, and well, you know, one of the one of the big things that um, Dumas got criticized for actually was the fact that we've had so many coaches. That's that's it usually ended up being the um, people's trump card for like, well, I mean, Jeezy had uh, you know eight coaches in eight years or something like that. It, he he started he hired um, Rick Carlisle, and that was a great hire. He's he's awesome. He turned our franchise around, and he had a couple fifty-one seasons. And then he did a weird thing, and he um, he fired Carlisle and got Larry Brown, and that was a risky pick, and that turned out well. We yeah, to the final during both of Larry Brown's seasons with us. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I mean, because Carlisle, I mean, it seems like no matter where he goes, like he has a fifty-win season. Like, and, and and now the Mavericks are, you know, kind of upsetting the Spurs. So, so I remember feeling at the time when we ditched him that felt strange and of course it worked out with larry brown um yeah. but you know who, who knows maybe maybe we still would have been champion champions with carlisle um but yeah you can't you know you definitely can't judge that one because it worked out well but um yeah. maybe um who's the guy we had who who um 
was at um so who was the coach we had after Larry Brown? He, who coached? So Larry Brown, we went, made, we won the finals, then we made it to the finals again the next year. And then he had some kind of health problem, um, and Bill Davidson, the owner, got really mad at him because he thought he was weaseling out of his contract. And Davidson basically fired him, so we hired Flip Saunders. Flip Saunders, that's what I'm and, – and I feel like we let Flip Saunders go maybe a little too fast uh, because it's not like we were – you could point to him as the reason why we were on a decline, and he was a solid coach, you know. What do you think about Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, he had coached in the Western Conference Finals with the Kevin Garnett team. Um, I happen to have the numbers right here. With, under Flip, we won 64, then 53, then 59 wins in those three seasons, and we made it to the Conference Finals each of those years. And, um, you know, we just couldn't break through to the Finals again, and people thought, oh, well, then he can't coach in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, I mean, I it, we were sort of a victim of our own expectations at that point because then we had Michael Curry and that that wasn't so hot, and then we had Kuster and that was kind of a bust. And yeah, I, I just I just feel like we, we we would have been good sticking with Saunders for a while. Right. I think um, either Carlisle or Saunders could have been our like coach of our team for fifteen years thing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah, Curry, Curry. Um, by the time we hired Curry, that was the year you know Ben Wallace had left because he got way overpaid by, uh, I think the Bulls, and and so we were declining. So we weren't going to get a big name coach to come and you know have us glide gently to the into a crash landing. Um, so we took a chance on you know Curry was an assistant coach who was well respected by the players, and then he, he sucked, so we fired him. Then John Kuster, you know he was a well respected assistant. Um, who was going to get his shot. That's the type of guy you get when you're going down. And, you know, we just had a mutiny under, the, you know, he was coaching, uh, he was the captain of a ship that was both sinking and on fire. With like, <laughs> yeah. you know, Ben Gordon, Rip Hamilton, and Rodney Stuckey splitting minutes, and that was awful. That was, you know. And then, um, you know, our new owner, Gores, came in and hired Lawrence Frank. Dumars wanted to hire Mike Woodson, who was, did a good job with Atlanta and, uh, and the Knicks. Um, although not this last year with the Knicks. And then, uh, yeah, Gores fired more cheeks. Dumars didn't. So, I don't know. It, it, once we got into this, the the quick rebuild didn't work. Then we were, it was just going to be a grind. I'd, I'd say the, the main thing going forward is whoever was the GM going forward had a good position, just like you said. Drummond is a... Is, it's going to be a disappointment if he doesn't end up being a Hall of Famer with his potential and his production so far at age age 20 this year. Monroe uh, is a potential all-star, um, you know, or maybe just below all-star guy. And um, and those guys are both, you know, Monroe's 23. I mean, they're going to get better every year for the next five or five or six or seven years. And um, we got cap room and, a, you know, hopefully the number eight pick this year and the future's looking up, I think, either way. Yeah, yeah, and and it's sort of, I guess the the question is, can we get some stability? Like, was was let it was uh, first of all, I assume that Joe Dumars was sort of given the opportunity to resign gracefully, and he basically was forced out. I, I haven't read anything otherwise. Do you know if that's basically true? I think it was, you know, the the team was his contract was up, and so there was a natural like we're not going to read. Resign you, I, and I actually don't know whether Dumars officially quit 
So it was like, you know, you don't break up with me, I break up with you. But I think his official role going forward is going to be he's an advisor to the team and he officially has permission to pursue other opportunities. And there's been some talk about, like, maybe Cleveland would hire him or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I just brought up the, the winning percentage by coach. And we actually peaked at Flip Saunders. He had a, he had a 0.7, I guess, a 71% winning percentage. And Larry Brown had a 65%. Rick Carlo had a 61%. And since then, it's just been like, pew, you know, like Mo Cheeks actually was a bump up from Lawrence Frank. John Lawyer is, I mean, I, I don't know. I, if I, firing Mo Cheeks this midseason might not have, maybe he wasn't the best coach for the long haul, but I don't know. I guess I would agree with that criticism of Dumar's sort of just like, it didn't seem like it was there was a point to that midseason. I don't know. I wasn't going to like jumpstart our our team or something. Um, well, the, I I think the reporting was that the um, the owner fired Mo Cheeks. He met with the team and didn't like the atmosphere or the chemistry of the team, and he fired Cheeks over Dumar's objection in the middle of the year. Um, yeah. Now Dumar's picked Cheeks, and Cheeks did a bad job this year managing the Josh Smith situation. Yeah. So that's legitimate, you know. But I think it was a, and a, you know, Gores has the right to fire a coach if he wants to. He owns the team. He can do whatever he wants. But I think it's a real sign of dysfunction. The main thing is that, that Dumars and Gores can't work together, obviously. So it's probably for the best. I think it's uh, unjust how much crap Dumars is taking. But Gores should hire somebody that he respects and can work with. And if he's going to fire, you know, uh, pick Lawrence Frank over Dumar's objection, fire Mo Cheeks over Dumar's objection. That probably means that they're not going to work out. So, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I guess, yeah, but but I, I do think that overall, to me, I feel like you can't really say Dumar's, I think Dumar's will go down as a really great both player, obviously, and then GM, because we had an amazing run where we were I mean, it was so exciting to go from like the teal jersey days to the run of of like actually having a fifty win season. You know, it was so fun to kind of come from those depths to to back to greatness again. And, and when we really won it, when we won a championship, and um, you know, and Billups was the first Finals MVP who was not an All Star since Joe Dumars. I mean, there were just so many awesome things about that that I feel like it was just going to be once that once that we fell from, from that peak. It was, it's, it was going to be painful. It's just too bad that it's been painful for quite as long as it has been. You know, it's been about, um, a good six years now of mediocrity to really being bad. So, um, yep. But yeah, but not, not tanking bad, which is, uh, again, you know, if, if the owner won't let you tank, then, your, your, your hands are really tied. Yeah, but I would definitely, I mean, my vote, the way I always push it when I'm arguing with friends, I mean, I was at Tiger's opening day and people, it was the popular thing was to just to jump on the bandwagon of, of Dumars, like blowing it and be like, oh yeah, you know, like we we, we won the championship, but even then he blew it with, with Darko. And I was like, no, no, I mean, come on, we won a freaking championship. I mean, we're like, we, we have a three championship team in the past couple decades, which almost no one besides the coastal elite have done. And, and the Spurs, so I don't know. I, I just feel like Joe D goes down as a legend in my mind. But you know, if we need to move on, that's fine. I just want to feel like we get our bearings somehow. And um, and 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 yeah, like I think you made a great point about finding someone who works well with the Gores, so that it's not quite so, you know, 
dysfunctional and, and changing around things so much. Yep. Yeah, after um, a little bit of a cold patch here, I think we've got a good foundation going forward. And um, I'm, a little, I'm a little suspicious of Gores, and I'll be interested to see you know, you know, what our next step is and what our philosophy is. Uh, but I guess we can only go up from here, right? Yeah, I think so. And uh, I'll definitely be, I, I, I have to be honest, towards the end of the season, I, I stopped watching. I mean, I was watching almost every game during the season. But towards the end, I just couldn't bring myself as much, even though Drummond was on my fantasy team, and that was a, a delight that he played so well. Um, but uh, I, I'm definitely going to be watching the draft with excitement and also starting off the next season with excitement to see how good Drummond is. And it's so cool that Cheed is, is really coaching Drummond on his moves and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so we definitely have plenty to talk about. I feel like now might be a good time to wrap it up because uh, I wanted to kind of focus on Joe D before we, before we start driving, diving into like what our next move should be as a franchise, who our next GM might be, or what the draft is going to look like. But it seems like this was a good thorough examination of Jody's GM career at, at, in Detroit. Yeah, I think that's good. All right, so that'll wrap up the historic beginning of the Brosane Pistons podcast. And uh, we, will, yeah. we will see all three of you uh, next time. Thanks. <laughs>